Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right, another not-so-serious Sunday with the B&E Podcast bringing you Evan and Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) So it's funny, you know, we just wing it on Sundays. Yep. Yep. Here we are doing it again. And yet this, uh, this, uh, podcast will have some name cause we'll probably stumble across some, something of interest. Yeah. So far it seems to be the case. At least one thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whoever read the title, that's what they're tuning in for. Just <laughs> lo and behold, we never planned on whatever you're after. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> I never really thought about that where it's like this, like we have no idea what we're going to talk about, but then we'll figure out what it is that we ended up talking about and then yeah. give it a title. So people who click on it based on the title kind of know the future. <laughs> yeah, they know, they know the future before we do. Or this is just going to turn into a Seinfeld episode where basically we talk about nothing and it works. That's a topic right there. <laughs> Seinfeld in and of itself. All right. Well, let's or am I just reaching? I don't know. I don't think so. Am I just reaching? I was actually, I've been thinking about that show for a long time because I was a diehard fan of that. Yeah. Like even like all the way through high school and whatever. It was one of those shows that was just, it, it was on, on some channel. <laughs> like yeah. at all times, like you, it seemed like you could watch Seinfeld any time of the day. <laughs> Somebody's playing it, and it's, and I haven't seen it in a while. But I think to some of those episodes, you know, like like people talk about, oh yeah, that was a great episode of Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. But then next thing you know, you you pretty much list every single episode of Seinfeld, and you go, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, I remember that one too. And you remember like almost every single episode of Seinfeld that you have seen before. Right. Yeah, it's true. You know, I wonder if, uh, if those shows worked, I mean, I'm sure they had a plan going into each episode and all that. And, but the, the idea of it, it kind of has a free form to it, you know, where there's like, and I think that's why it works so well as a comedy because it's, you know, usually about some problem that's just not really a big deal. Like, yeah, for example, George talking about how he can parallel park like a pro and he goes to like set up to back in and some guy pulls in, you know, and the whole episode is basically yeah. arguing about who is the right you know? out on the street yeah, and everybody in- else is getting involved. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of the sh- how the show ran. Like it was these, yeah, it, it took these little things of like nothing. These just, you know, very much out of Jerry Seinfeld stand up type of comedy as well as Larry David. Yeah. Um, you know, just these stupid little, little things about life, you know, that are, they're, they're almost meaningless, but you know, they, they take it on because they're so relatable, mm-hmm. you know, they're all, but then I think that what Seinfeld then did was that it takes it into the completely absurd and ridiculous, right? Right. Like, so take something that is very much a real thing and then see how can we completely blow this out of proportion? Because that's really what happened. Like all the time it would, it would completely go absolutely nuts. Yeah. You know, like I I think of the episode where, 
uh, Jerry and Kramer switch apartments because there's this the the building next door put up this new neon light. Oh right. Or yeah. whatever, and and by the by the end of it, Jerry almost becomes Kramer. <laughs> like <laughs> like he's just totally like wired and nuts and, and yeah. crazy. You look at almost any episode and you just go, oh, yeah, it starts with this little thing and then. snowballs. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of like taking an idea and running with it. You know, I think, uh, you know, it's funny because I I think that so many things kind of work, work that way too. In In a way it's, you start with this small, small idea that almost doesn't even seem to really be anything or make any sense. And then all of a sudden it blossoms into this kind of kind of thing you know like I remember when you and I we won't need we don't need to tell the plot line because yeah I think we should make this one day but remember when we we were like hey let's write the worst movie ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we just yeah. we started basically coming up with like what what would be literally the worst things you could put in a movie and we put them all together and lo and behold it actually worked and it's hilarious and I've pitched that movie before actually to Gabe and he's like you guys need to write the script for that he's like we should make that <laughs> it was well the thing is we realized that it was I think it became a complete satire. Yeah. Like it, it just became an over the top satirical film <laughs> on like almost every genre. If I do remember correctly, it was heading in towards like an action. It was an action movie about like a guy who saves the president or yeah, something. Basically, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> the most, <laughs> the most ridiculous plot line, but that was, that was, that was not even, that wasn't, that was actually, it worked because of all the elements being so crazy, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I think like, I think, you know, when you get into these cliches, they almost don't work because people take them too seriously. Yeah. But in a way, I think comedy almost works off of the fact that, you know, you don't take the cliche seriously. Yeah. You but know, when you go, when you go into the cliche, um, you know, I think guys who are absolute masters of that in film is, uh, is like Simon Pegg and, um, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> if only there was some sort of, I'm going to keep, I'm going to look up his name because I feel terrible about that because he's, he's unreal. Yeah. Um, he's definitely part of that team, but those movies like uh, hot fuzz and, um, and Shaun of the dead, like just unbelievable. And, and they play into, into it so so beautifully yeah and all the other ones are taking it so seriously nick frost there we go nick frost simon Pegg and nick frost it's interesting someone pitched me an idea the other day i'm not going to share it because this might actually be one that gets into development but basically about something that is like overly cliche and overly common that's done you know right now where everyone's like oh i don't want to see another one of those movies and they had an idea of how to kind of put a twist on it. You know what I mean? Mm. And it was hilarious. It's like so good, you know? And I think that the thing is, is that, um, I think that's part of the problem, you know, is like the me too movies where people kind of do a cliche that's already been done, but they take it too seriously. Whereas it's like when things have been overdone, there's a new window that's been created, which is to go almost use it, but then go against it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can buck the trend sort of what it is by, by, yeah, like using, yeah, it's like, you know, isn't that like martial arts idea of using like your opponent's weight against them, right? So like you use the genres, you know, uh, it's archetypes against it, right? You know, you just like use it and you use the weight of it and toss it in a a direction. (laughs) And the thing is that, 
and and it's so crazy because it works. Yeah. It works. Like whether it actually ends up being something good or not, there's something about just that one element of flipping a genre a little bit or what you typically expect from it. And you just do one little thing that defies people's expectations and suddenly like people are flooding to see it. Yeah. Totally. Like, oh, well it did this differently. Yeah. It, Cause it's unique. It's, it, it's interesting. You know, it's uh, it, and I think, th- I think that's part of the, you know, that's part of the thing that I'm realizing more and more with writing is even if you're writing a thriller or a drama, it's not a comedy, but it's something else is that you got to be really careful not to take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm realizing like the things that, you know, the things that we take seriously a lot of the time are there, there it's, there's kind of a ridiculous, ridiculousness to life. Like people get so like in so much drama over such a little thing, you know, like if you think about it, like say someone didn't pay you back some money or something and people get like all wrapped up in this, it's like the end of the world. And you know, like in a way, every, every little thing that that's trouble is like, it's so, so small compared to like what's going on. So like, I think Seinfeld, the thing about that was it would take something that we get like, I hate it when people do this yeah. and it would make it like way more like it would just oh, yeah. blow that idea up. Like it, the bad dating scenario or a situation between people, yeah. you know? And it's like, and, and a lot of the time I think that's, that's what comedy really is. But I think also, you know, like when we wrote one of our first movies, um, that movie tag, yeah. which I don't know if it'll be called that at the end there or what, but the thing is, is that I think part of the problem was in certain scenes when they got dramatic, we took it too seriously. Yeah. And the comedy worked, if you think about it, when we weren't taking ourselves too seriously. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. That was, and that was the first like feature script that I ever, I ever worked on that I ever wrote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we did it together and, and yeah, it was so interesting to, to look back on it because mm-hmm. there was, there was so much of it that was just like, Oh <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. But there were, there were some really great, there was some really great stuff in there too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's when it takes itself a little bit, a little bit too seriously. Yeah. Um, when, as you're talking about Seinfeld, I just suddenly man hands jumped back into my head. The man hands episode, the man hands, you remember Jerry's like dating this, this woman who's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. just like, she's stunning, but she's got these huge man hands. <laughs> yeah. It's like, she's like breaking a lobster in half and like <laughs> cutting to like some like other person's <laughs> like giant mitts. And then it becomes, and it is, it becomes so absurd, right? Yeah, but, it does. Yeah. <laughs> these little, these little things, or like the one, the one girl he was dating where in one, a certain light, she's really beautiful, but in another light, she's just like mm-hmm. really ugly. And so it's like, it just was dependent on what light you'd get her in. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Little things like that. They were Good kind of, naked and bad naked. And yeah, there was kind of, <laughs> there was also kind of a little bit of a truth that permeated with a lot of them. Like we could all kind of relate to them. I think that's why it works so well. Yeah. I think, I think, those characters, because I, I mean, at the end, I mean, I'm not too afraid of, of ruining stuff about Seinfeld just because it's, it really stands on its own. And if you haven't yeah. seen anything of it by this point, then, well, I don't think it ruins episodes. <laughs> Usually when people tell me about an episode, I actually go to find that episode and then I watch it. Yeah. And it's like if I hadn't seen it already right. and it's even more funny. Right. Yeah. But the, um, the last episode of it or what they did in the last couple of episodes of the show, um, 
one of the things I thought was hilarious about it is that it really pointed out that these they they really weren't very good people. <laughs> you yeah. know? They weren't very nice people, weren't great human beings. Um like not like they were just horrible people, but <laughs> they weren't great. Yeah, they were pretty petty. Yeah, they were pretty petty. Yeah. And but the thing is is that they were almost I think that there are these characters that we could all it was almost uh you know, a thing that we could live vicariously through how superficial they could be Mm -hmm. and how stubborn they could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, yeah, like we all have such stupid little things that we get, you know, all in a twist about, but we don't go to the lengths to which they do. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And they just, you know, they, they push it. And you know, the other thing too, is like those characters were set up where they, they didn't have, they didn't have a lot going on in their life. So really what was happening was like the most important thing in the world. You know, they were like, I mean, and I, I think it's kind of like, it's interesting because I think when you have, when you have like bigger endeavors and bigger goals and stuff like that, a lot of time the the little things don't really matter because if you got bogged down with the little things, you would never get the big things done. Yeah. But when you have no big things, the little things just become littler things. And the the big things are little things to like, yeah. Know? And so they're so ridiculous. Totally. So their big things were like most people's little things. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah it's really <laughs> just like the dissection of one of the greatest sitcoms yeah. ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, you know, I think it's good. I mean, these, these talks are, are interesting because they help dissect, um, ways to, you know, we, we figure out like, okay, well, how, how do they, how do they create something like that? You know, um, it's interesting too, because like with comedy, I found that, you know, especially with coaching writers who want to write comedy, I started in comedy and and I'm more serious, but I want to get back into it. But I found with comedy, like if you're not taking risks, if you're not trying things, if you're not like daring to do things that are kind of a little bit ridiculous or uncomfortable or awkward or whatever, if you're not willing to do that, like usually funny, it's not very funny, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like comedy is, there's, there's really no room for it to be safe. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree because comedy is, is something that it, it does pass Mm -hmm. for the most part. I mean, there are some comedies and, you know, people who do comedy who have, who do have a timelessness about them, but not, not too many. I find like comedy does have a bit of an expiry date, you know, before we've seen the joke or we've heard the joke enough times that we're so used to it. Yeah. Right. And, and again, you could go counter, you could use that, you know, against comedy to defy people's expectations. That's so much of what comedy is. Right. You know, that's, uh, is you, you set it up, people expect one thing, you give them another or some, yeah. Like you give people something they didn't expect. Um, but yeah. And, and comedy is also one of those tricky beasts as well, because if you try to do comedy in, I feel like if you try and do it in too scientific of a manner, like it, it won't work either. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they try to do that with sitcoms. They try to get really scientific and break it down and they're, there is a structure cause they have to, you know, there is, you need to hit X amount of laughs per page or whatever. But I think certain jokes don't really work a lot of the time in certain shows because they are like, they're done in a very like scientific, you know, equation based manner. Yeah. And the, there's not really a lot of like 
authenticity or daringness or risk to it, you know? But if I think of like all my favorite comedians and all my favorite shows, there's usually somebody's like kind of the, you know, they're like the brunt of the joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like someone's the joke. It might even be you. And it's funny because you're like, yeah, I do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like, um, also with writing comedy is that a character, uh, you know, characters don't really realize that they're funny. Like yeah. when, when you look at like bridesmaids or wedding crashes, which are arguably two of the you know best comedies that have been done in the last like 20 years, you know, um, pop culture wise. And a lot of the time those guys, the reason why, even though like people say, Oh, well, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson are so funny and you know, whatever you name, name, whoever, but you can say the the thing is they don't realize they're being funny. Like the writer and the way that they're doing it, they don't realize it's funny. They're smart enough actors to realize that what they're doing is funny, but the yeah. character, the person isn't funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like George Costanza doesn't realize how funny <laughs> yeah. he is. You know oh yeah, I mean? <laughs> absolutely. He yeah. just takes everything so seriously. Yeah. And I think you, you touched on what, for me is, is what makes a great sort of comedy, whether it's a movie or a television show or, or a play, Mm -hmm. um, or just any kind of writing, I guess, uh, is, is great characters. Mm -hmm. When the characters begin to, when they really have a life to themselves and then I think they just, they just start to write it just starts to write itself. Yeah. But it has to have those great characters. Like if it's just, if it doesn't have great characters, like it doesn't matter if the writing is, is still pretty good. If it doesn't have good characters to deliver it and that we care about in some way, then it all is just kind of lame. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you said something that was really important there, like characters that we care about. And I think that's really important. You know, we don't necessarily have to like them. We don't necessarily have to, but we have to kind of, we have to kind of care enough to want to follow their story. You know, I think like things like, um, house of cards and the Sopranos Mm -hmm. and breaking bad, those are masterful because they're breaking the rule of likability for the character. I mean, even like, even like George Costanza, Costanza's like in, in Seinfeld is not likable. Like it's kind of, there's kind of a brilliance to it, but he has, you know, arguably you could say, well, he works because you got Jerry, who's the straight guy and people like Jerry. So yeah. George Costanza, Costanza kind of works in juxtaposition. Right? Yeah. But with like Breaking Bad or House of Cards or Sopranos, your main character is kind of a despicable person. Yeah. But yet you, you know, they, they do tricks to get basically not tricks, but they're, they're crafty in the way they get you to care about them and be interested in them. Cause that's so important because, and I just watched a movie the other night. It was a local movie made here in Vancouver and shot here in Vancouver. It's on Netflix now. I'm not going to name it, but, um, you know, basically the movie <clears throat> has a lot of good elements in it, but you don't like the, the, the main character that it's focusing on is so despicable, but there's nothing to like about him. Mm. And there's no like, what the movie failed to do, in my opinion, is, is basically what it failed to do was help me understand why he's doing what he's doing. How did he get to, and I'm just going to name it. Um, cause it's not a terrible movie, but it just, it didn't quite 
it didn't quite work. It could have been so much more. Right. Um, it had a lot of really great elements in it. Don't get me wrong. I think everybody who was in it as an actor, you know, did a great job. But from a story structure point of view, it's called Badge of Honor, right? Okay. And so basically, the basically the guy who's really the antagonist, who's kind of the main character, because it follows him through most of the story. The problem is, is the reason why it's not a Breaking Bad and uh, Sopranos or House of Cards is because you know, he, they kind of go into this story about how him and his wife are splitting up, but really he just seems like kind of a dirtbag and, and it was good for her to leave him. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's no real sympathy ever built for the guy and you don't really know why he's kind of getting into all this kind of trouble and, and kind of, you yeah. know, a part of this. And so then the problem is, is that you have a bad guy who you just don't like and you're like, I want him to lose. Every time I see him, I don't like him. In fact, you like other characters, but the story narrative doesn't kind of follow them. And so it doesn't, it's kind of like trying to do House of Cards where you have the bad guy as the lead, but it's not giving you an understanding of the character. It's yeah. a very surfacey based type thing, right? There's like, I think like with uh, George Costanza, for example, he, even though he's like not this, not the main character, or you take Tony Soprano, name any of these guys, right? The thing is, is they're not necessarily likable people, but you kind of understand where they're coming from. You kind of understand that George Costanza has nothing going on in his life. Yeah. A balding, fat guy who basically, like, is hanging on by, like, the, the, like a string in life. And yeah. you're like, no wonder this guy's, like, so needy. Oh, yeah. You know? And very often, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like he, he the thing was, was that his character was very aware of all of those things, too. Right. Yeah. You know, he was just like, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at me. Like, what? Like, and so he was this, He yeah, he was this, he's like this lo- totally lovable screw up. Yeah. Who is, yeah, kind of despicable in his own way. Yeah. You know, like he is like, he's just kind of a despicable person, did a lot of despicable things like in the show, but yeah, you're just like, Oh, like he's so like, there has to be, I think an element of compassion. Yeah. There has to be, yeah. There has to be because I mean, as human beings, I think we, we look to be compassionate. I think we actually do want to have compassion. So when you treat a character with absolutely no compassion, I think that there's a part of us that, that recognize that, that says like, this isn't true. Like it's never that simple. It's not that black and white, you know, like that's not how our lives are. Right. Like we have friends who, and, and ourselves, we make mistakes. We make, you know, decisions that aren't necessarily the best, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you're just this horrible person until, (laughs) you know, the end of time. Yeah. Right. So if you treat a character that way, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I suppose it could be a choice. Mm-hmm. I would recommend against it because it's also, it's, it, it, I would say it's almost a lazy choice as well. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing too, is the audience doesn't, <clears throat> the audience is usually not aware why they feel what they feel, just that they feel. Mm-hmm. So when you ask someone, did you like this? You know, did it impact you? What were the impact? Whatever they don't necessarily know why they, 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 the, the general audience, the layman watching a, a movie doesn't necessarily know why they liked it or why it impacted them. If you ask them, they're going to come up with a whole series of ideas and they're going to tell you, well, it was the visual effects. Well, it was this. Well, I like the way the actor looked, blah, 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 blah. And 
they're, they're basically going to try to make up reasons to try to understand their feelings. Cause that's what we do as human beings. But as a storyteller, as a creator, you need to kind of go beneath the surface answers and you need to look at like, why is it really impacting them? And I think this is, you know, it's not a, it's not a simple question necessarily, but I do think that a big part of it is in what you're pointing out, like this empathy, because I remember like Tony Soprano, like one of the first scenes in, in, uh, this, the season one of the, of the move of the whole series of the whole show, there's this point where there's these ducks or ducks or birds. They're in his pool and they end up flying away and he kind of feels this loss. And there's this kind of compassion you get for him because what it tells you is it kind of, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I know I'm probably making up reasons, but I think that the writers were so smart. They understood that the audience was going to build a connection here, you know, cause I started to go, well, he's lonely. He's looking for, there's some type of, you know, him wanting to have a connection. He had a connection with these little ducks or these little birds, yeah. you know, and, and what ends up happening is he's not just a criminal. Now he's this guy who's like a human being. And yeah. so once he's a human being, I can kind of go, okay, how did he get here? Same with breaking bad. Like, you know, what would it take for a guy to go down this road? They actually show you that. And so I think like, you know, um, house of cards starts a little bit later in the whole journey, but they kind of like, their, their, their tactics are a little bit different, but it all still comes down to empathy. You still understand. I get why you're going after what you're going after. And in a weird way, I want you to get it, you know, in a, in yeah. a weird way, I, I kind of like, I'm willing to place myself in your shoes. And I imagine I was there and kind of, you know, or what you're doing to me, what you're doing in this is so interesting and fascinating. I've never even thought of this, mm-hmm. that I just want to see what you'll do next because I never even thought about that as a possibility. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or I guess there's another option, which is that you're just a really dark soul and you like, but I think that's, I don't think that's a very big part of the audience. Yeah. And I mean, and it, and it's not always for everybody either. No. Like uh, a lot of people don't like being thrown into that, that, kind of moral gray area. No, it is because it is uncomfortable. Yeah. Those aren't comfortable shows to watch or characters to watch. They aren't like I, it's breaking bad was like, I swear to God that that series took like at least two years off of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Loved I it. loved it that much. <laughs> <laughs> you loved it that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think it's, I think, I think the empathy is a big part of it. I think this is where like, you know, comedy and action movies and things like that, they get into, you know, they get into the superficial because they make a lot of them very black and white and you don't really care. Like I think with like wedding crashers and bridesmaids, which are a couple I, I mentioned earlier, you really get, you know, you really start to understand the struggle of those characters. You know, you, you, um, you know, it does a really, those, those movies do a really good job at kind of getting you to try on what it's like to be in that position. And I think that's, that's part of why you really embrace the journey and go on the journey. Um, if you weren't willing to try on that position, you would just be judgmental of it. And mm-hmm. I think when is it happening? Like when I think of badge of honor and I don't think of myself as a judgmental person, but you know, when I'm looking at this character, <clears throat> it's, you know, I, it's kind of automatic. You kind of go, yeah, but you're, you know, you're doing these, these terrible things and you're just complaining about your life situation 
and you're just a victim to your life situation. And that's how you're going to justify what you're doing. But I don't really understand how you became a victim to your life situation. I don't really understand why all this is here. Right. And basically, you know, in that movie, what it boiled down to me was you're following a sociopath. You're following Mm. a sociopath and you're kind of like, um, you're kind of just like, yeah, but like, just all, like all it really is like, hopefully, hopefully this person doesn't get away with this. That's, that's, you know, and I think like, that's the difference between like Sopranos and like Breaking Bad or something where it's like, well, I kind of want them to get away with it. You know what I mean? I kind of, even though like it's, it's, it's weird because you disconnect from the fact that this guy's a meth dealer or a mafia dude who's like, you know, doing these things, you kind of disconnect from that and you kind of don't want them to get caught. Whereas in this, this movie, like badge of honor, which don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great elements in it, but this, this character, the narrative, the way it was chosen to be done was kind of like, yeah, but I just, I don't really want you to get away at all. I just want you to get busted. I just want you to get caught. And the more I find out about you, the more I want that. There's not even a little inkling of like, you know, like get away. You know what I mean? Um, which I think, which makes the movie very black and white. And I think this gray, the, the gray mm-hmm. area when you're dealing with antiheroes is so important, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially if you're dealing with an antihero, yeah. especially, you know, where it's their, their virtues are not necessarily as obvious. Well, there's that movie and, and I did pretty well. I mean, back in the day called Payback with Mel Gibson. Oh yeah. Yeah. It earlier. Yeah. Um, but you know, Mel Gibson's character he's like, I just want my 60,000 back. And he was, he was kind of doing some things that were not so good and he was a criminal or whatever, but there was kind of like a respect we had for it. It was like, he's not being greedy. He's like, he's showing like a certain amount of integrity with it all. Yeah. He got screwed over, you know, but in a, in a weird way, we're like, okay, well we're in the criminal world. So he's kind of a good guy in the criminal world, you know? Yeah. So it like, I think it's like it within context, right? Whereas if you take a, you know, if you like the, the same with Breaking Bad does the exact same thing. He can only be kind of as bad as the criminal world he's in. If he was just like the way he was like later on in the show at the beginning, we'd be like, this guy's a crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? But after we experience what he's gone through and what he's up against, we start to go, you know, in the scheme of this world, you're actually a good guy amongst bad guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then it starts to, to twist a little bit. And then, and then it gets really uncomfortable, but they've done, see, they twist it once they've gotten you hooked. Oh yeah. And they got you attached to him. They don't, you know, they don't do it beforehand. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is, I think a really important part of the process is that we have to like him and be on his, on board with them before we can go that dark. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to bring this, uh, back to something that we were talking a little bit before, you know, just this idea of like, you know, dissecting, this stuff, you know, it's still applicable to, 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 I guess what we're saying you know, you dissect, you know, elements of what works for a character elements of what works, you know, for like a comedy, like Seinfeld and this and that, you know, I think that, I think that it's a big trap to, to go into something with the idea, like, especially if you're, if you're a writer, you're a creator, you want to, to do something, to, but to be like, I'm like, I want like I'm going to create the next Seinfeld kind of thing, or I'm going to create the next this, right? Um, I think that you can take 
those like dissecting it is, is can show you some of these elements that you really like about something. And they, those can teach you something. Those can give you a structure, something to, to work with, but it's always a point of inspiration Hmm. as opposed to trying to duplicate something that has happened. I just wanted to touch on that just because Uh, like, you know, I, like, I don't want people to think that it's like, Oh yeah, just, you know, you, you learn how to dissect this and then you can, you just recreate it. Right. And it's, that's, I think there's so many failed pilots and whatnot to, you know, (laughs) show that that's a bad way to go about things. And I think there's countless books out there that are trying to teach people how to write and create, and they're pawning off this information as though it's some type of, you know, that it's some type of path to follow. You know, I think, um, these awarenesses, you know, as a, as a storyteller is it's simply to be aware of these kind of these kind of things that influence and have an effect. And you have, you know, you have certain things you need to do. Like, for example, it's as simple as like, uh, you know, making a sandwich, you put the meat in the middle of the sandwich, you know, you put the salad and the, and the, and the sauces and the wet stuff in the middle of the two pieces of bread or two pieces of lettuce or whatever you're doing. So there's a reason for that. So you can hold on to it and like keep your hands somewhat clean and you know, and that you don't create a mess everywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, the same with story. There's, there is a structure to it. There's a, and then, you know, that I read, I've been reading all these book reviews. It's so funny because people, well, you are, it's art. You can't have structure. It's like, well, tell, tell that, tell that to the sandwich maker, tell the sandwich maker, there's no structure to making a sandwich. Of course there's a structure. You know, you can add more pieces of bread. You can put more pieces of bread in the middle of it. But at the end of the day, we need something to hang on to. And it better not be mayonnaise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Absolutely. Right. And this, and the story is the same way. And I think that's what we're pointing out. And I think that the, the, the ingredients you put in the, in the sandwich are up to you. The type of bread you use, the type of meat you use, the, the way in which, or the order in which you you know, butter the bread or do whatever you do, (laughs) cut the meat. I mean, that's up to you. But at the end of the day, we need to put it together a certain way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's kind of what, like, this is really talking about. When we're talking about, you know, how to make comedy work and how to like make an anti-hero work, we're just talking about, okay, well, you got to get me to like or be interested in the character before you can basically show me how bad they are. If you show me how bad they are before you do that, the chances of me liking them. And it's like you, it's like you already put the mayonnaise in my hand. You know, you're you, you, now, now you can try and put the bread there, but the mayonnaise is already in my hand. It doesn't yeah. matter. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, I think that's what, what people, you know, when people fight structure, I think like, yeah, like, you know, it, it's, it's not that it's wrong. It's, 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 it's totally an acceptable different way to do things. Yeah. But is it, does it, does it really work? Will people be comfortable working with that model? Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I actually really quite like this, this sandwich <laughs> metaphor that you've come with. This brand, Brandon sandwich I metaphor. the analogies. This story, the sandwich story <laughs> yeah, metaphor. <this> yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it works. It, yeah. <laughs> it works. Um, because yeah, it's, it's, there is a way of it. And if you, 
if you change some component, because it's like, well, what's... I'm going to tell you... I don't know if I should flesh this out anymore. <laughs> this sandwich These metaphor. This guy's flesh out sandwich. But, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, well, what what is this all for? You know, a sandwich is a sandwich for a very particular reason, right? Like sure. it's, it's that way. So you can hold it, like you can <laughs> hold it. And like, you know, you're not going to need maybe more than a napkin, <laughs> Yeah. you know, th- from start to finish. It's, it's a grab kind of a thing because if it starts to become something else, well now it's a fork and knife affair. And what are we talking about now? Yeah, what like are we it's talking? something, something completely different. That's a great way to put it too, because it's, it's not to say that, you know, cause it's, it's kind of like our genre talk, which we had earlier, right? Which mm-hmm. is like fitting into the genre. If I'm eating a steak and potatoes or something, uh, I'm probably gonna use a fork and a knife and you know, it's going to be a different way in which I eat that meal. Yeah. Whereas if I eat a sandwich, even let's call it a steak sandwich, doesn't matter. But if I'm ordering a steak sandwich, I'm thinking, okay, well the way I'm, I'm going into this as the person yeah. buying the meal, you already going, have the expectation. Exactly. And your audience has the same thing about your movie. So you do need to honor certain expectations. And this is part of what structure does. It, it simply goes like, cause if, if they gave me a steak sandwich and they said, by the way, we put a bread between two piece of bread between two pieces of steak. There's my phone. I'm going to turn that off. There's the old business line. That's going to ring again. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I understand. Yeah. Like you have a different expectation. Pardon the interruption folks. Trouble, trouble. Um, I covered it all, man. There's just, there's just too many devices these days. Too much electronics around here can't be good for the brain. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a different, there's a different expectation. But the thing is, is also, it's like, we're talking about structure and, and like, oh, it's going to, structure's going to make you sacrifice something. It's like, no, there's no, there's no sacrifice to be made really. Like there's, because there's so many things that you can do with it because, you know, if you're, if you're making a sandwich, (laughs) I love this. Um, <laughs> you know, you're making a sandwich. There are an infinite number and different types of sandwiches and ways you can, you can make one. Yeah. But you know, you're making a sandwich. Yes. The very fact that you are making a sandwich, you know, you're making a sandwich makes, makes the crafting of it possible. Yes. Because otherwise you're not making a sandwich. Right. Otherwise it, you don't know what's going to come out at the end of it. You know, maybe you got some, some bread and you've got some, this over here and this over there and this over there. And you look at it and you go, I don't even know what this is. Yeah. I don't even know what I'm looking at now. And I think that's where like art, art house, art film in the, in the desire to be unique and the desire to be different and, and have some type of freedom of expression, you abandon the structure of the expectation of, you know, what we, what we require to basically consume this artistic creation that you have. And the problem is, is that we go, yeah, it's different, but I don't want another one. I want a sandwich. You know what I mean? Like I, that's what I wanted. You know what I mean? So like, or whatever, I mean, whatever your thing is, even if it doesn't resemble anything like, you know, and there's a certain, there's a certain point where you go, you can create something new, but it needs to make sense. Yeah. You know, like, for example, 
if sandwiches had never been created, right? Okay, there's this a is point. just gonna make me giggle yeah, like every single time. This is such a rent. This is such a Seinfeld like. It's actually kind of falling into like we're talking about. It's nothing. like a sandwich. <laughs> we're talking about everything. <laughs> it's like a sandwich. Yeah. What's the deal? What's sandwich? the deal with sandwiches? <laughs> okay, so uh, <laughs> so sandwiches have never been created, right? And you created the sandwich. That's one way to go. Okay, well you created something that made sense, that was different. But you, you know, you like basically took something and you, and you made it work. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's, I think the exception, you know, like Memento was like kind of something where someone did something different. You don't necessarily want another Memento, but you went, oh, okay, well in a way, let's see what happens when this is backwards. And in yeah. a way it kind of works. But the thing is, is, you know, and they talk about this at the American film market all the time. They go, is anyone ever going to make another memento? Like, really? Like, is there really going to be another memento? I mean, there might be another backwards film, but memento was already done. It was kind of like a one of a kind thing, you know? Yeah. We don't really want our movies backwards, but for the sake of that movie, for the nature of the context and the idea that they're doing, and people always do this. They always go, well, structure doesn't exist because look at memento. And it's like, okay, go, go tell your movie like memento let's see if it's another memento. It won't be. And, and the reason why is because the very nature of memento, the, the story was better told backwards. That's yeah. what they ultimately discovered. So because of the memory loss, you got to experience it. Yeah. But you know, these exceptions. Then, yeah. You know. I mean, and the thing is, is that like, yeah, it's, it's so specific and it's in the way it was crafted yeah. it was designed, and it's still, it still fits a story structure. It does. Like it's extraordinary. Like it was, it was so well executed and done and, and conceptualized that to pretty much do it again, you would, you'd basically just be redoing Memento. Yeah. Like exactly. You would just be redoing it and we've already got it. Like we've already seen it and it was already great. Right. <laughs> well, and I think like, you know, uh, you know, with movies and we're talking story and whatever, I mean, comedy, whatever, any genre you want to talk about at the end of the day, it's an experience. So if you want to be artistic about it, be artistic and like, how could I have someone experience this in a, maybe a different way, but a way that better enhances the experience. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with art film, and that's not to say that all art film is like, we're, we're not saying no. art film is, is just bad like as, as a whole, it's, it's not like (laughs) it's necessary. I think the problem is, is when art film becomes, I want to do this thing differently just to be different. Like Memento was not in my opinion done just to be different. It was done because that gives you a better experience of that type of story. Like I actually got to experience what it would be like if I didn't remember the moments before, like that's, that's how the, the movie takes you through. So you get to experience what it's like to not have a memory of what happened. Yeah. You know, and in that case it works, but if people do it, if they're looking at Memento and they're going, they did it and it worked because it was different. It's not because it was different. It's because experientially it fit perfectly into what they were doing. So I think like, you know, when you take a movie, you take anything, if you want to start playing around with the basic structure do so not to be different, but do so because you go, okay, well, this will have a better experience of the movie. You know what I mean? This will, 
this will give a new, you know, like for example, you could take Reservoir Dogs, for example. Reservoir Dogs is a brilliant film because really most of it all takes place in one location, really. But they flash back to moments and they talk about these moments that had happened. And as you're watching the movie, you're getting the necessary information as the movie progresses yeah. so that you have just what you need to experience the movie and be in that kind of unknown confusion until the end, until things are revealed, and then you go, oh. But they, it was crafted in a way which was done to give you that experience. And, uh, you know, you can, you can try and break it down. You can go, well, they did the three act structure and they had the high point here and the low point. All that's all great. And you know what? Films just naturally, in my opinion, will fit into that because in a uh, film has to naturally progress upward. It has to, yeah. um, for it to be more exciting. Otherwise it just turns into a real boring movie. But the point is, is that the way in which the narrative is revealed is the structure. That's the structure. That's what people don't see. And I read all these you know, um, screenwriting books and, uh, you know, the best screenwriters, in my opinion, they, they do this really well. And, and some teachers are good at it. Some teachers kind of talk about structure. Like it's this, it's this thing. All it is, is our life is, is about information. You know, it's, it's what do we know or don't know, you know, that influences our decisions. So I, I think narrative is this, it's really kind of the cornerstone of story, which is like, how much do I know and how does that inform the way I feel or think about this? Or how much do I not know and want to know? Or how much is going on that I don't even know I don't know, but later when I realize I didn't know it, then it's going to have an impact on me. I mean, that's just kind of like how it all works, you know? So you can take, you know, when people fight structure, I just think that the art films is like, I don't know. I think when people think structure, they go, oh, it's commercial because it has structure. Not at all. I mean, I think most of the best Oscar films have amazing structure, but maybe it's, uh, maybe we're talking about something else. Like I think, you know, the way these books talk about structure, these screenwriting books, I think give structure a bad name, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things as we've discussed before that you can't, you can't just make it a, a complete technical, like it's all, it can't all be about the technique. It can't all be about the structure because if you, that, that doesn't like that gives you a a kind of a vehicle of sorts to work with, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't move the vehicle necessarily. Yeah. You've got to put the idea inside that vehicle. And I mean, I like to think of it. I mean, I like to always think in analogies because I think they're a great way to understand something, but I think of structure like your bone structure. You know, if, if someone was missing certain bones in their body and you looked at them, it would have an impact on the way that they looked and the way that their body functioned. Right. Also, if they were only bones, you know, just skin and bones, they, you know, they look extremely unhealthy and there would be something, you know, there would be an effect with that. Yeah. Right. The, you know, when you fill in the details of the story, once you have structure, then it's about filling in the muscle and, and, you know, all the, the sinew and the rest of the body. Right. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think this is, that's, that's great because yeah, there's the, the world actually in a lot of ways shows that structure is an important, is, is an extraordinarily important part of our existence. So usually when you can find that exists, it exists in like it parallels and it, and it reaches to so many other things. Every, every building needs a structure. Like it needs it. Mm -hmm. Every, like every body 
needs a structure. Every organism needs a structure. Plant, you get down into it, you, you find that there's actually these really brilliant structures like inside of it so that it can be exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. So don't kid yourself in thinking that you don't need one. <laughs> well, you know, and I think a great example, and since we're just on the topic um, of structure, a great example of structure is the roller coaster, which actually relies almost entirely on momentum. Yeah. And so when you look at a roller coaster, the hill before that you fall down needs to be higher than the hill you go up. Because if you don't, the momentum won't carry you over the hill. You'll get stuck in the middle of the track. Yeah. The only real part of a roller coaster that really has any energy movement is the initial part where you're on the chain and it's pulling you up that first hill. But after that, you're, you're on a downward momentum kind of, because basically every hill becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. Script is just the opposite. What is actually happening is it's like momentum backwards. It needs to get higher and more amped up with every, with every move forward in a way. Right. And so I think like, when people fight structure, that's like saying, I'm going to just build this roller coaster the way that I feel. I'm going to design it as an artist and it's going to look beautiful. And it's like, you know, and I think the peak should be higher here because that would be better. Yeah. And it's like six o'clock news. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like a whole whole bunch of people are dead because this roller coaster didn't work. You know what I mean? And, And that's the thing is like, I mean, nobody will die if you don't follow structure and story, but there's a good chance nobody will see your movie yeah. or invest in your movie. Yeah. Because there's a point, there's, there's points that won't work. You know, it will, it will, you know, collapse upon itself essentially. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that these analogies when we're talking about story are really good because they can help people kind of understand that, you know, instead of, instead of fighting something, just look at the nature of, you know, why is this, why is this thing there? And I think, you know, you don't, you know, I I was talking with the writer the other day and they were saying like, you know, I just write, I just, you know, I don't really think too much about structure. And I was kind of probing and asking them some questions. And it turned out that really they did have structure. It's just that they write as though they don't, but they've basically broken down story to the point where they don't think about structure. And ultimately what they said is, well, I don't think about structure. They said, well, that's different than not having structure. And I think this is what's communicated sometimes. You know, people say, well, I don't use structure. And it's like, well, no, you use structure. You just don't, you don't plan things out like in a, you know, point by point thing in a structural way. But you know, in, in like intrinsically or internally that you need to hit highs and lows. You, you have that idea. That's kind of why it works. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's funny how oftentimes people who are, who are self-taught and have success and, and whatnot. I mean, they, they're like, Oh, I've never had any training. I don't, I don't do any of this stuff, but underneath it, it's just like, they're doing it. You know, there's like, they're, it's, it's all there. Well, you know, what's beautiful about structure and, and like, I'm not, I'm not, I actually find that I abandon structure quite a bit now as a writer. Like I don't really need to do a lot of structural stuff anymore. It's so ingrained into me now that I don't even realize I'm doing it when I'm doing it. Yeah. But I honestly, through structure, I feel I could teach somebody anything. For example, there's a structure to dating. There's a structure to having a relationship. There's a structure to getting married. If you don't, if you don't 
consider this structure, you're going to fall flat on your face it, because this, it goes like this. I see, I see a woman. I like her. I'm attracted to her. So I go up and I say, will you marry me? She's going to be like, ha ha ha. You're joking, right? Cause that's ludicrous. Or she's probably going to say no. And if she says yes, she's probably crazy. Like, and, and I don't want to marry that one. You know what I mean? Because the thing is, is that's way too big of a leap. I have not earned that with her. And if, if, if I've earned that with her, then, then that is very telling about where she's at. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there needs to be kind of a, okay, first I'm going to go talk to her and then I'm going to, you know, I'm attracted to her. Let's find out if we actually connect and interact well. You know what I mean? Yeah. The next thing is, is like, okay, well, you know, and we can break this down into as many steps as we want, but we can go, okay, well, probably the next thing that I'm going to do is to see if I can get her alone so I can talk to her and just her and we can connect. Maybe the next thing, what I want to do is I want to see if I can take her out on a date or I can see if, you know, we can do something where, which is outside of this mutual venue or something like that. Yeah. The next thing I might want to do is, you know, whatever. And you're going to progress as you go through this, you know, all the way to the point where you're probably going to have an engagement period before you're going to get married, you know, and then before you have, well, not always, (laughs) but before you have kids and do all that stuff, you know what I mean? If you were, if you were kind of, and, and again, people can say, well, you know, you can jump the gun, but let's just think about that. If you jump the gun, how often does that work out? You know what I mean? I mean, we can all find the exception, but the thing is, is there's a structure to everything. And I think that, you know, with story or with anything we're creating, at least be aware of the structure. It's only going to help you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when it doesn't serve you, then, then toss it. Yeah. Or skip a step. You know what I mean? Like if, if, uh, you know, if it's like, well, you know, you, you go from, well, you have to go on X amount of dates before you say you sleep with someone, or you have to get married before you sleep with someone. Maybe you don't agree with that, that structure, right? That's someone else's structure. But the thing is, is there's still a structure for you. And that's the thing yeah. is that even if you abandon structure, you're just creating your own structure. It's not like, I think defiance to structure is like, I have no structure is like it it's, it's kind of a lie because you do have structure. You just, you, you're just redefining it for yourself. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. It's, it, it's like all of these. It, yeah. I think you brought up, uh, something interesting with, with this analogy of like relationships and stuff, you know, so often, you know, there's like, it's almost a cliche now, but people will say, when's the right time to, do this? When's the right time to do that? When's the right time to tell somebody that you love them? When's the right time to sleep with somebody? And people have rules about it, like set rules. And at this, so at the same time, while it's important that there's structure, it is almost impossible to just simply follow a rigid structure at the same time. Yes. Like it's, so it's there, but you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's always exceptions because it's like those questions. When's the right time to tell somebody that you love them in a relationship? There's no right answer for that. You know, you, you have to, you have to judge that for yourself based on the way things are going, based on how you're actually feeling, you know, like that's like, what's the actual truth of the situation. And if it's counter to what every dating column (laughs) is saying to you, then screw the dating column because 
what do they know anyhow? Well, you know, it's interesting, right? I mean, the, the whole idea that there's a one size fits all for structure is ludicrous yeah. because that's, that is, I think the problem, you know, is where people go, well, you're just going to come up with a cookie cutter structure, you know, but it isn't one size fits all. It's, it's your structure within the context of your life. It's, it's still structure, but it's different. Like, you know, um, for a billionaire to go and do something that would be really fun for them today that really pushed and kind of was a risk for them might be different than someone who has $3 in their pocket. You know what I mean? It's, it, they're in a different life situation. It's relative. And, you know, I used to have a friend used to say it all the time. It's, it's all relative. It's all relative. And I think that structure is the same way. It's just relative to what you're doing in, in context to your life. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when people try to sell with a script, you know, they try to say, I'm going to sell someone this thing with a script. I'm going to use this script. My, this, my mentor, my guru taught me this script. Well, that script worked in a scenario based on a certain specific circumstance. But if that all changes, you're into a different thing. What probably works about the script is the structure. You don't need to understand what, what the words were of that script. What you need to understand is what was the structure of that script. Mm-hmm. And I think where people get kind of confused with structure is they try to make it into this very, very specific thing. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, that a lot of time you'll find a movie that's totally different, has the exact same structure, but it's the, it's the underpinnings of what was being done. Not the, not the thing. Like, you know, for example, a lot of people think, oh, well, the climax is when the antagonist and the protagonist finally battle. And it's like, and people say that. And it's like, no, that's not true. In some movies, yes, that is what the climax looks like. But in many other movies, no, it doesn't look like that at all. And in fact, most, it doesn't look like that at all. That's an oversimplification that's too specific for what the nature of it is, is that it's, I like to call it, it's the, um, you know, where you rise to the highest point of your life where you rise to the highest point of your goal or challenge or whatever. That's what the climax is. It's the highest point. Simply. That's what a climax is. Yeah. If you, if you try and make the structure into some other more definitive thing, you under, you, 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 you collapse the underpinning of it. it it's yeah. not, that's not what it is. Yeah. I, one of my favorite, favorite structures that I learned for, for storytelling and screenwriting is still from Dov Simmons. Uh, I'm sure this is probably fine that I say it. Thank you, Dov. <laughs> um, but I remember when he was talking, talking about writing, uh, he said, he said, well, most feature films, you know, give or take have about five, uh, ohs, five, oh shits and one, oh my God. And I, and that's just stuck with me. Like that's a structure. That's actually a structure. Yeah. And a really great one too, I might add <laughs> a terrific structure and, but it leaves so, so much room. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't tell you anything about how a story is really going to go. Yeah. Like the story that you want to tell, that's just like that, that can just help shape it. Give it some clarity, give it some direction for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And you just start to, it's like, okay, well, what's, what's this next thing? What's this? Uh Oh, and then what's this? Oh shit what's this? Uh Oh, what's this? Oh shit. What's this? You know, and you keep working through and next thing you know, you've actually just put together a very compelling story that has a lot, that's great sort of through line, a great action to it. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, it's simple, but it's, it's really 
a profound tool at the same time. Yeah, totally. And you know, um, like there's, you know, it's interesting. It's like, um, another analogy I'm just going to throw is kind of like driving stick shift. You know, you have your clutch and you have your, your steering wheel and you have your gas pedal, you have your brake and you have your, you know, you're, you're switching your gears with your stick or whatever. Right. Um, and writing a movie is a little bit like that. You know, you, you, you're doing more than one thing at a time. You know, it's not, it's not automatic. It's not, um, you know, if, if it's automatic, I think the story becomes very plain. There's, there's, for example, when you want to switch gears, you need to also kick in the clutch. There's certain things that kind of happen simultaneously, you know? So for example, you know, people will follow this structure and go, I did this structure and it didn't work. And it's like, well, here's another thing to consider. Was your character passive or were they active? This is a really important element because when this event occurred, did it occur to them or did they make it occur? You know what I mean? And that's a really important thing to, to know because an automatic story, in my opinion, is one where a character is very passive, the world happens to them, and they basically survive a series of events to the end. But a, a manual, a story that's like very like involved and you're participating in, the character is actively trying to make stuff happen. And they're failing and they're succeeding and they're doing it. But the world isn't just happening to them. Yes, the world happens, but they are a participant in it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think with an automatic story, it's kind of like a very negative thing because you have a passive character that's just the story's happening and they just happen to be a part of it. And, And if you look at most movies that don't work, like, well, not most movies that don't work, but if you look at a lot of movies, any movie with an automatic character, this is what I'm trying to say. Any, any, any movie with a very passive character is, it's not really going to work. There's maybe one exception, but it's not really an exception, which is basically back to the future where they say he's kind of passive, but he isn't really passive because he's constantly trying to do stuff. You know what I mean? He's a bit of a, he's a bit of a static character. Like he doesn't necessarily have his own personal arc, but he's always engaged in what's happening. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's actively trying to do stuff. Like he's like, um, you know, let's just take the first one where he's trying to help his dad, you know, basically be able to date his mom or whatever. It's basically the plot line. Yeah. He's very active about that. He, he maybe doesn't change a lot, but you know, I think that's the thing about an active character is that they are, they're doing stuff, you know, and sometimes they're doing stuff and the world just sideswipes them and they get caught into something. But passive characters are like, the, the world just sideswipes them. They're not really trying to do anything, you know, and then they're just a victim to their circumstances. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to follow a victim. I mean, not, not many at least. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely not in, in storytelling. No. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, again, appeal to, uh, our nature. No. There's something about us where we're just like, you know, like we'll maybe watch it and we'll go, okay, it was different, but you know, you walk away f- with, you walk away just feeling nothing about it. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, and I, I think that the reason why, like e- people ask, well, why does a passive character even get written? And, and my answer to that is because deep down you want to be passive. You want your, you want to just win the lottery and get your million dollars. You don't yeah. want to have to earn it. You want to just get it. You want to basically just buy your ticket and that's as much work as you put in and then you get your million dollars. That's what you want or X million. Um, but you know, if someone else got it, you wouldn't be so happy about that. You know, in a, in a sense, because 
you know, in a way, like you might be happy for them. But the thing is, is if you go, well, what if everybody around you just try this on, for example, like we can all say, well, I'm really proud of my friend who, who won the lottery. Let's say everyone else around you won the lottery and got everything they wanted. They, all they had to do was show up and they got it. But for you, you had to earn it and work for it. Would you still be okay with everyone else winning it and not you? Most people I think would be like, well, I feel shortchanged. I feel cheated. You know what I mean? And I think the reason is, is that we, we understand that the world is not just handed to us, you know? And so when a character goes out and gets it and accomplishes and achieves it, we can respect that because we can realize, Hey, you know, that's what it takes. You know what I mean? But when a character just kind of gets it, we're like, yeah, great, good. You know, you're lucky, but you didn't really do anything. So you're not special. It's like your circumstances were special, but you're not special, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that when we get a, when when we really like characters, you know, when we look at most of the movies we like, it's because we we're dealing with a very active character, someone who's really like going against the odds and making something happen. Yeah. Trying to do, do something. Yeah. Yeah. Like even, um, there was a great sort of independent film, uh, Oh, I wish I could remember. Sam Rockwell was in it. Uh, and it was mostly about like this, this young kid, he goes away with his family, like to this cabin and his mom's dating this new guy or something like that. I'm pretty sure you were the one who actually told me to watch it. (laughs) Was this an Indian movie that was made like five or six years ago? Maybe it's fairly new. And, but like, there's this, uh, like Sam Rockwell plays this guy who, who works at a, uh, at like a water park, basically. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. It was on Netflix, but now I don't remember the name myself. Oh, well that was like, that's a great one. Yeah. We're going to look this one up too. Um, but it was even that, like we're, we're following this, this young, you know, teenager who's coming of age, coming of age, having a hard time. It's called the way, way back the way, way back, the way, way back. Yeah. yeah. Came, came out in 2013. Uh, you know, and he's like, he is a, a, a bit of a seemingly passive character. You know, he does a lot of wandering around and complaining about things and moping, does a lot of moping, but he's not entirely passive. Like he goes out and he's, he's, trying to like get himself out of the place that he's in. Yeah. You know, it's one of those stories where it's like, yeah, he's got other problems, but it's, this is a case where it's not like a necessarily a protagonist antagonist kind of an ending. It's one of those more, it's like a personal journey for this kid. You know, it's like him trying to get himself out of this unhappy place that he's in. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it comes back to my point that I mentioned earlier. It's all relative for a young teenage boy the amount of activeness that he needs for us to be like, that's active is less than say for Die Hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? In yeah. Die Hard, he has to be very, very active. It's a different genre. First of all, Yeah. there's a different demand on the character. There's gunfights and action sequences and terrors, terrorists in Die Hard. You, you don't have time to mope around. Like if you did, everyone would be like, get up, loser, go save yeah. your wife. You know what I mean? But with this kid, 
it's he's like kind of away for the summer. He doesn't have a lot of power. He's a li- he's a young kid. You know what I mean? So we yeah. we we relate to that. We understand that. So he you know he's stuck and he's, he's trying, but he's trying to make the best of it. His struggle's different. Yeah. It's all relative. And I think this is the thing you know is where people go. Okay, I got to make my character active. I better make them have this big thing they have to do. Not necessarily. If you're writing a drama, if you're writing a story that's more interpersonal their activeness is relative. It's different. If you're writing an action movie, yes, they better be extremely, um, like extremely active in the sense that they need to be really trying to make change in the world. They're dealing with terrorists and the world ending. Right. And you know what I think is, is an important part of this is in, but in both these movies, so we're going to take die hard (laughs) and the way, way back. Right. One's, uh, one is a, you know, steak and mashed potatoes. The other one's a sandwich, <laughs> right? This is we, good. We yeah. have different I love ex- how you're tying it back Yeah, in. we have different <laughs> expectations on each, right? Yeah. But what they both have going for it, I'm not going to use this as part of the analogy, <laughs> but they, they both do it. You know, as an audience member, what their struggle is, right? You understand what they're up against. Yeah in, in both situations, John McClane is dealing with terrorists. This kid is dealing with like a shitty home life situation. Yeah. Right. And, but we get that yeah. and we understand it. We feel that struggle, right? Like it's, and, and one's more obvious than the other, you know, one's more nuanced than and the one, other one is. One's more immediate. Than one's the more immediate than the other, yeah. but they're, they still have the same, same elements. Yes. Yeah. They still have a structure. Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> and they're both, they're both laced with the right amount of activeness. And, you know, I think activeness is kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, it needs to be there, but in what amount and to what degree it, it varies from film to film and varies from genre to genre. And, um, you know, and I think like, you know, and I think as actors can, can learn a lot from this lesson because, you know, I've been in acting classes where they've been like, what's your objective? You need to know your objective. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, I, I would argue that the writer and even the kid might not be that clear on the objective, just simply might want to be like, I want to be accepted. I want to feel better. But theirs isn't demanding as much as say, if you're playing John McClane in a certain scene, it's like, I have to get through this barrier so that I can take out this terrorist to save my wife. Like it's very, very specific and clear. And and he has one night, this kid has X amount of weeks. You yeah. know what I mean? It's different demand. Right. And so I think sometimes, um, when we don't consider these things, like that's why I'm talking about story. You're doing more than one thing at a time. Yeah. You need to understand the context that you're in when you're telling your story, because if you try to take the action, movie structure model and put that into a drama film, you're going to have a weird friggin' movie. (laughs) (laughs) Could be interesting. (laughs) It's going to be way too intense. But if you take the drama, uh, say this way, way back model and you, and you put that and try and filter that structure through Die Hard, I mean, it's not going to be an exciting action movie. It's going to be like, like John McClane sitting in an elevator shaft thinking about his life. You know, it's like, it's a different movie. It's yeah, not an action movie, completely but, different but movie. you know what? It might work as a drama, but it wouldn't probably work as an action. Movie. Yeah. So, you know, 
Anyway, this is an interesting. This uh, this has been an, an interesting chat. I still want to keep talking, point. but I also want to introduce the beer. Yes, yeah, go for it. So I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to pass it to you to say it because I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. All right. This is from Strange Fellows, Strange Fellows Brewery, uh, Jonglier, Belgian style wheat beer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, how do you say that? Oh. Jonglier, Jonglier. I've never seen that before in my in my life. It, that that might just be a, just a particular name. Yeah, for it, no, but that's it does the, seem the, like actual something. But yeah, it's definitely it a, is the name that they call it. I, I checked. Right. I, I double checked. Anyway, I I, I don't actually, know what that means. I feel like it's got kind of like a clown on it. it looks sort of like a <laughs> he's juggling. Yeah. On this stamp, so maybe kind that's like a word for a probably juggler. It probably means juggler. Oh yeah. That's, <laughs> Is that how you say it? No, that's... No, there's an N in there. Jonglier. Anyway, it might, maybe that's uh, juggler in French. I don't know. Someone's going to be like... Or, or something. Little Belgians. But anyway, like a... I, I like this beer. I, I'm actually really enjoying it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's like a nice... Uh, yeah, it's a nice wheat. Yeah. Wheat beer. Do you want to... You know, you got the taste buds. Tell me Tell me what you think. <laughs> you uh, you got those... Uh, those what, are they, what are they called? The taste buds? You got taste those buds? taste buds. Those taste buds? It's like... Uh, to me, this is a really, really nice summer beer. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's... um. Goes down smooth. Goes down nice and light. And... Mm-hmm. and uh, has those ni- those citrusy notes that you... That you expect. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Strange fellows. So a little that, on the coriander. Yeah. Again, something to be expected from something like that. It's nothing wrong with that. Ain't you know, nothing wrong with that. They had, uh, it's the first time that we have had strange fellows on our show. Yes. Um, and they're a local brewery on, uh, over there in Clark and, uh, just passed first. Um, yeah. And you know, they had a lot of, they had a lot of really good options, um, for beers. So it was, it was a hard it was a hard choice today. It was yeah. like, uh, what do I go with? I had, I've had one of theirs before at a friend's house one time. They just had, like, randomly had some, like, a six-pack or something from them. And it was, it was like a uh, white IPA. Oh, yeah, I had that one as like well. That. Yeah. yeah, and that one, I remember that one being real, real tasty. Yeah, it was really good. I, I, um, I don't tend to go for the IPAs as much. That's, so compared to this, the IPA was a little bit more... Obviously huh. a little more hoppy, yeah. a little bit more bitter, a little more strong, you know? Yeah. Um, Sometimes it all comes down to just what you're in the mood for. Yeah. This was, this day. is a little more mellow, a little more smooth. Also, uh, lower on the alcohol percentage, like a 4.5, I think yeah. it was. So, um, which is, you know, it was a little easier drinking. Yeah. Cause they had a, they had one that was like a 9.5. It was like a Belgian. It was real tasty, super tasty. Um, but I was like, nah, let's not go that yeah. heavy today. On a sun shining day, <laughs> yeah. drinking a heavy beer like that, sometimes not always the best, the best yeah. option. Yeah. I probably would have, uh, you know, I probably would have gone with that one if I was, you know, gonna, I don't know, if I just want to get more drunk, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a little sweeter. It was a stronger, it was a stronger beer, like stronger yeah. in the sense that, you know, you more body to it, more like, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of those stronger beers, they have like more sugars in them and stuff, which is why. Right. A little sweeter, unless yeah. I'm completely wrong. But I, I believe that my, this is this is where I'm reaching the limits of my beer knowledge. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, I've heard that from other people before that it tends to be that way, that it's a little more sweeter. I think, you know, it's interesting too because uh, I guess it's kind of to mask 
the alcohol, you know, so you don't really realize you've taken as much. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of, I mean, the thing is that a lot of uh, the alcohol comes from the sugar. Right. As well, too. Um, It all gets cooked down and, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Look at you. You're understanding the structure. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. There's a structure to making a wheat beer. There's a structure to to making a, a you know, a Belgian triple. There's a structure to making a lager, a Pilsner. Uh, right. There's a structure to all of these. But yet there seems to be a demand for everybody producing a different kind of one. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, I think when it comes to art, like when it's, when like, beautiful, sorry, I got to say beautiful segue. By the way. Beautiful segue. Beautiful. Um, but you know, arts and sciences, right? Like film falls into arts and sciences mm. and sciences and I think this is important for us to understand that, you know, to be, to be viable, to be commercially successful and to kind of communicate to a larger audience, we need to understand kind of the scientific experiment of filmmaking. You know what I mean? That there is a certain, there is a certain consistency to it, you know, that the experiment runs somewhat the same, just with different characters, different plot lines, different story. But the art of it is where there is the expression. It's where the opinion, it's where the artist's voice come in. And I think that, you know, when people say I'm an artist and, you know, forget the whole science thing, you're basically saying that your voice and your opinions and your feelings trump the consistency that we're all trying to participate in. Yeah. But if you just try to do it by science and you don't do it with any art and you try to do it by number... Then yeah. you're, you're saying that like, well, it doesn't like it's, 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 it's no longer, it falls out of art because now it's no longer, there is no voice in it. There is no opinion or expression or, yeah. you know, communicative message. Right. Yeah. So I think that, you, you know, and I think this is the important thing. It's important for us to, you know, hit both and find a balance. Yeah. And to be aware, like you can't, you can't just ignore one side or the other and, and, well, Some you people can, like this. You but. can, but it's it's not to to anybody's benefit. Uh, this what you're saying actually just remind me of a of a great uh, on Big Think. There's a guy uh, named Sam Harris who has he's he's been out in the public. He talks a lot about um, theology and and stuff like that. But uh, if I'll, I'll I'll we'll include the link on this one uh, because it's it's really fascinating the way that he views, he, he sort of views sort of almost science and, and, you know, not necessarily spirituality, but I, I think that this has an excellent application to what we're talking about. You know, in this one talk, he, he's basically saying, you know, we can, we can monitor somebody's physical, physiological responses to different emotions, different, this and that we, we can see the chemical reactions that are going on. We can like all of these things, we can monitor it. Um, and, and we could just simply say by going like, Oh, well, objectively and saying like, all right, well, these, uh, these responses, these emotions are, are caused by, you know, uh, uh, influx of, of this going out, shooting out through the system and, this and that. And, but it's, it's a very objective third person view of looking at something, uh, which has its own value. This would be what 
I would say probably is like the structure, you know, what we're looking at. It's like, all right, we can see that all this is happening. But the thing is, is that it doesn't change the fact that we each and every one of us have a first person experiential point of view. And just because, you know, your heart rate increases and, you know, you're, you start getting sweaty, a person might not be feeling scared or nervous or what have you. So there's no definitive way of pinpointing everyone as being the same thing. Mm -hmm. So everyone has their own, their own sort of experience of things. Mm -hmm. So there's things to be learned from each, each task, but like, you can't, you can't just it. And I believe he says he compares it to flipping a coin. You know, you could flip a coin and it comes up, you know, heads, you know, 99 times out of a hundred unlikely, but just because it comes up heads 99 out of a hundred times doesn't mean that the other side doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. The, 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 the variable, I mean, for anybody who the science nerds out there, you know, the variable, right? Well, what's the variable? I think that's where the art, that's where the art comes in. And I think that when you have a, when you do, when you do a science experiment, you keep your variables to a minimum. You identify what your variables are. Hopefully you only have one variable so that you can test one variable at a time. Um, but with story, we don't make the same movie a hundred times over. Well, some people are going to argue, well, (laughs) I guess in ways we do, but we don't really like in, in one year, we don't make the same movie a hundred times over and then decide which one based on these variables was the best. We make entirely different experiments and then we compare those experiments and we say, what was a better experiment with a massive amount of variables in them mm-hmm. where they're about entirely different people and entire, entirely different situations, entirely different genres, entirely different things altogether. And, and, you know, we're not even like, you know, and the fact that we even have Oscars and we're comparing stuff in many ways, it's so, they're so not similar. Like, I mean, we've talked about this before about Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in Wolf on Wall Street and you know, and then the Dallas Buyers Club, uh, Matthew McConaughey. I mean, those are entirely like, that's like taking a, an experiment to see like, you know, how long a fly can stay in the air for and an experiment to like, you know, does an orange have like more citrus than uh, a grapefruit? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like you're not even comparing the same thing. It's totally different. And so then we try to take them and we go, what was more you know, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, to say, to, to try and like in, in that example, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you say, well, how, how is it that we are even able to compare, you know, something like that? Because there's no, you could maybe find some sort of commonalities. You could say, it's like, okay, well, you know, the, the Oscars, uh, traditionally, gives the award to, uh, performances like this and this, and you can, and you can try and dissect all of that, but it would still be completely meaningless. Mm -hmm. It would still be completely meaningless because there is that variable of it being something that's entirely subjective. And the fact that something even exists such as art, this is what I mean. Like art is an ex like is an experiential subjective, like medium no matter, no matter what it is, 
it's completely experiential and it changes from person to person to person. So you can never scientifically deduce which is going to be, you know, something that will be an Oscar winner or something that will be, you know, the greatest film of all time. There's no way of doing it. Yeah. Which means that there is something to it. There is actually something about our own opinions, our own views, our own experience of life that call it what you will, you know, but it is, is absolutely vital in terms of creating art. Yeah. I have an argument that art is pioneering way, way, way farther ahead than science can keep up with. For example, you take back to the future, artistic creation. Here's what the future is going to look like based on our opinion, based on our expression, based on thoughts that, and, and awarenesses that we have, you know, and then now we go, well, okay, there's variations of this to be true. Science is starting to back up that vision, right? But in many ways, art explores things before science ever catches up to it. Mm -hmm. Whether the art is say correct or the exact way it would work or whatever is kind of irrelevant. What what's important about art is that it explores things that we haven't looked into. And if you look at like, say movies that were made, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, they were talking about different forward thinking ideas. Now we're dealing with new forward thinking ideas, but this is the thing about art is that it's, if you try to do an experiment out of it alone, you're going to be, you're, you're too tied to the world it is today. Like what we want to explore is we want to explore things that we've, we've never really kind of ventured into yet. You know, I mean, I think that's where the me too movies fail, where they, they kind of copy a structure, copy a model of some other movie. It's like, yeah, but this movie already did it. So we don't need to see that again. The movies, even, yeah. even the same movies of the same franchise, yeah. you know, I, uh, I'll just, Go, ahead, go, go, go straight. I'm just going to go straight for it. Um, the hangover, mm-hmm. you know, that the first hangover came out and it was like a massive success, like critically and with audiences, like it was, it was a really fantastic piece of comedy and nobody had ever seen anything quite like it where I feel the misstep was cause they made a bunch of sequels. Now, granted, they both made more money than the original did at the box office. But I think across the board, most people would say, yeah, they weren't nearly as good. And I think that probably part of the problem was that in my experience of them was that they were too much like the original. They like, even in their same, like, and so it's not even like a me too movie. It's like you are the movie and you did the same thing again and the audience just doesn't, doesn't like it as much. Well, that's the thing with sequels, you know, they work until they don't. (laughs) Basically, I mean, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're banking on the nostalgia comfort inertia that we have. And so, you know, they work in the sense that we're familiar with them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I think with uh, things like the hangover, you know, it makes sense because, you know, it's going to make more money because basically we had that first experience with the first movie and for most of us probably. Um, and we had that first experience. And so, 
you know, we experienced that. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to have that same experience again, but it was a carbon copy of that experience. So now we don't quite get the same experience. It's, it's, yeah. it's close. It has familiarity, but it's not quite. And then we go to the third one. And in a way we have, we have certain connection. We have a connection to these characters. We have a certain kind of comfort, you know? Yeah. And so then we go again and, and, you know, they work until they don't because they work until, okay, well I'm, I'm done. I, I've yeah. had enough of that, you know, until it's new. Right. Um, and I think where things will, things will succeed as a sequel, for example, let's say the Godfather one and Godfather two, Godfather one, Godfather two has some of the same experience, but they're different movies. They're mm-hmm. a different journey. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, forget the third, the third is it, the third was made way different, way different at a way later time. And, you know, you could arguably say that it was just kind of a copy of the first two, but, but Godfather one and two people will often argue, what, what do you like more one or two? Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why is because it's not just a replicate of the same thing. It's not just a carbon copy of the first one. It's a different part of this journey, but we're yeah. enrolled into that story idea. Yeah, yeah it, it did. It, it told it. Yeah. Cause it told a completely different story just in the same universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's an important thing to not ever try and just re I guess we mentioned this earlier to try and just recreate something Yeah, is, is a mistake to simply try and recreate by using the exact same things that worked like you know, you've got, you've got to keep pushing forward. You've got like, cause the thing that made, made the hangover great was that it was so original, right? You know, it did. Yeah. Like it, it had some stuff that was like some, some styles to it that we had seen before, but nothing quite like that. That was almost like one of those, that, that was maybe almost like a memento esque style picture in some ways, you know, it was, <laughs> it was them retracing their steps, retracing, figuring out what the hell happened. Right. Right. It was, and it, and it was so original, you know, that like yeah. it, it, it was, that was what made it work, what made it work. And then the problem was, was that then you rehash the same, the same premise again, you know, what and you're, you're just like, yeah. really again? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the tools, uh, that a storyteller has, you know, you, you subjugate those for, for repli- like replicating, right? Like for example, the, the whole idea that you have a tool, which is that you can keep the audience in mystery. You can create moments of tension. You can create emotional feeling points of your story. But if I've already been there and done that now, I already know. And if you don't change it up on me, if you don't surprise me, um, what ends up happening is that I'm already pre-prepared. I'm already pre-set up. It's like someone already told me a story. And I think in a way, like it kind of, you know, it kind of works, but like, I remember most people, like, I think it was the third one. Like a lot of people left the second being like, ha ha. It was funny. They copied it. But when it was the third, they were like, like it was not the same experience as when you left the first one. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I, and, and, you know, obviously, you know, like the thing is, is like from a business standpoint, um, 
with the hangover series, right? They're, they're looking from a business standpoint to make money. So, you know, in that, in that model, it really works. I think that, you know, this is the nature of the business in some ways, but I think when we're, and it's not to say that it's wrong. I mean, it's not to say don't do it. It's just to say like, these are, you know, I think what we're talking about here is like the effects of it. I think if someone tried to go and say, I'm going to make the hangover as a separate thing, like you have to factor in the fact that like that is its own thing now. Like it's, it's, um, it, it, it's, it's like the nostalgia and the connection to the characters is its own thing. It's like if someone went out and said, I'm going to make another Seinfeld or I'm going to make another friends or I'm going to make another thing. Like it doesn't really work anymore. Not that way. You have to find your own little twist on it, your own art in it. Yeah. I, and that that's where I think the, a lot of, a lot of it gets lost when you see these me too style of, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And when, when you get that me too, it's like, well, we've already had that. The thing that, that made that so successful, that made that thing so impactful was because it was so wholly original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, you, you still have to, you can, you can take inspiration from something like that. You can take inspiration from Seinfeld. You can take inspiration from the hangover or something like that, but then do something original. Do something that we haven't seen before. I think you got to understand the tools they're using. Like, uh, you know, you, you were talking about how the hangover is kind of similar to Memento. In many ways it is. What are they using? They're using mystery. They're using the curiosity. I want to know what happened. Yeah. You know? And, and you as an audience member get enrolled into that idea, right? That tool has been used in countless ways across countless films if you try to do it the same way, if you try to use curiosity and mystery the same way they did, we're going to recognize it, you know, especially and in a mystery in movie. Yeah. We're going to be like, Oh, I've seen this before. I know what happens. Yeah. You know, in a way like that, that's where I think we work against each other. I think where, you know, you can watch other movies and watch other shows for inspiration, but you need to kind of go out in the world and live and experience and think beyond the content you've consumed. And, originate an idea that's beyond what you've already known. You know what I mean? Like take something like that, take that structure that, you know, has that worked for it and then see how you can twist that. See how you can, you can use that to go against what the audience expects. Right. Because again, it, it doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much to, to, you know, make me who's I'm, I'm a fairly, I'm a fairly I don't want to say jaded <laughs> audience member, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty selective. I'm, I'm fairly picky. I would think I've been told <laughs> you're harder to please as you get I'm, older. I guess. So yeah, I'm a little bit harder to please. And you know, I'll, if I see something, if I see something that I'm like, I've seen this a, a million times before, right? Like it could be going this, I could be watching a trailer for something or actually watching the thing itself and just be like, like, Oh, I've seen this a million times before. Thanks, but no thanks. Right. Mm. Next. But if the, if I see some like little twist, it's like, I've seen this before. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've never seen that before. Yeah. I might have to go and see that, Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? And it's like, but it's otherwise it's, it looks like almost exactly the same movie, but someone just twisted it in one kind of little way that I've never seen before. And suddenly I'm interested. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, I think this goes for anything. I mean, there's, 
I mean, even, even like dating and stuff like that. I mean, you, you know, you date, you date one person and then you date another person and they have similarities to the other person. But, you know, you, you, you find someone that has maybe like the things that weren't working in the last relationship, maybe you try to find in this other one. But the thing is, is that it's not like you're going to go, I mean, maybe occasionally, but you're, it's not like you're going to find everything that that person had and then just get better in the next person where you're going to find is a new person, you know, yeah. they're, they're a new person with a new life experience. Yeah. And, you know, and if, if you want to get to know them more than their surface, you're going to start to find out that they're really, really different. Even if they look a lot the same, even if they act very superficially, if you get back down to it, they live different lives. They're different people. And I think that movies, when you, when you, when you, and story, when you come down to it, it all can look the same in many ways, but it originates from different places. And I think that's where the art comes in. That's where theme and your voice and other things kind of, you know, they, they, they paint it in a certain way. Right. And, um, you know, and I think like, and that's why it's important that you make sure that gets painted in there. Yeah. That's why I think your voice is, is really important. It needs to be heard, you know, and then structure is just, it's just a kind of a guideline, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not a, it's not the end all. It's not law. It's it's, it's like a first step. It's like, take this first step. You kind of need this first step. Like don't try and take the third or fifth step before you've taken the first, but your movie doesn't end at the first step. It ends at like the, you know, the 50th step, but, yeah. but make sure you take the first step. Don't just skip the first step. You know what I mean? And I think, um, you know, it's, uh, my problem with a lot of these screenwriting books and I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I have my list of favorites and my ones that I'm like, ah, these can go, but there's a lot of times where I find screenwriting teachers who write books will try to, and you know, they're often the people that don't write screenplays, you know? And it's like, you they're oversimplifying a, a, an idea, you know, like they're, they're making it more specific than it is. For example, I mentioned it earlier, the climax moment is a climax moment is simply the highest point. Don't make it any more than that. Don't make it into, this is where good meets evil. No, that isn't necessarily it. It's, it's simply designed to be the highest point of the story. That's all the climax yeah. is. If you try to overcomplicate it and break it down into this thing that it isn't. Yeah. The climax, like I said, relative to the story that you want to tell, yeah. which if you've listened to us before, if you're writing a story, it should come out of some source of inspiration from you. Yeah. Like it should be something that you feel compelled to write. Yeah. You know, as, as an artist, you're like, I have this story and I want to do it. And, you know, structure will help you get there. Like I said, I, I like that, which said, it's like, it's considered just like the part of the first step. You know, you get your structure out and you get that to your bones of your story out there. And again, as we've discussed on the show, your first draft is going to be garbage anyhow, most likely. Mm-hmm. And now you rewrite it. And now next thing you know, you, you find all, you can play with it so much because it's already there. You yeah. know, you've set, you've set the stage, so you, to speak. You know, what's interesting about structure. And I just want to mention this because I'm sure we'll probably wrap it up quick here. But, um, when people go, well, I'm going to, I'm going to make it look like this is the climax, but then actually it's going to be over here. And it's like, yeah, over there is your climax now. Like you didn't do anything. You didn't change your structure. Your climax is just at a different point. 
Yeah. It's like still the highest point of the story. Like that's the thing about structure is you can't defeat it. It's still there regardless. Yeah. So like <laughs> if you, if you basically like the, the whole point of structure is that your climax should come not at the end, but right near the end. And they're probably, it's, it's designed to be your highest point. So it should probably be the end of the movie. Right. I'm not saying that that's a rule. I'm saying that's a general guideline. Maybe you kind of have some peaks afterwards, but the point is, is that this is the moment where there's a certain thing that's supposed to be done, kind of a completion. Right. And, uh, and I think that people try to beat structure and they try to say, well, I'm going to do structure this way, but it's like, it's still the same thing. It doesn't really matter. You, you don't trick it. It's like gravity. It's going to suck you to the ground regardless. Like, yeah, you, you, just because you, 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 put on like feathered wings and jumped off a building. You didn't fool gravity. Gravity's still sucking you to the ground. Like structure is the same way. It just, it just is. It's not like no one made up the rules. You know what I mean? Like really like if you want to bring it back, I believe it was like Plato and you know, people like him who basically looked at story and went, Hey, I'm observing this. Why don't you, you know, let's, let's look at this and go, Hey, it tends to be this way. I'm noticing some commonalities. Like every time I jump up, I come back down to the ground. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I, I like that the, the word that you use, it, it tends to be, tends I mean, to that's be. what structure and a lot of science really is yeah. like, because we're constantly learning new things. We're constantly relearning, things. but there are a few things that have remained pretty consistent. Yeah. Gravity being one of them, but you know, like we, even, even gravity, we don't even fully understand science. Like, NASA just discovered back in like November or something, uh, a, a black hole where something came out of it. Something came out of a black hole. <laughs> it defy, it defies our current understanding of gravity. Right. But we know what gravity tends to do. Yeah. Right. And we've established a certain base of knowledge on that. Right. Yeah. And we've, and we've been able to, to make certain movements forward based on that. But yeah, there's certain things that you just like, like these, this tends to be true. Yeah. Dilemma, crisis, <laughs> decision and action, resolution as, dis- as discovered by Plato is something is like, this tends to be the way a good story moves. And we haven't changed it since really. Yeah. Like we've gotten more, we've added more complexities to it for sure. You know, we've, we've found more nuance in it than we've ever had before, but you can still pretty much break down any, any like great film or story of the last two centuries. And you will probably find dilemma, crisis, decision and action resolution. Yeah. Like all like, and if it doesn't have that, it's probably awful. And you've, nobody's ever heard of it. (laughs) Well, the other thing too is, uh, you know, people, people tend to have people only are willing to change their opinion about really one thing at a time. They're not going to change their whole belief system around seven things or 10 things at once. They're, but they're willing to maybe do one. And this is important because, you know, like as more I learn about marketing, you know, the, the big rule and the guideline, I should say guideline for most marketers is to say, find out what people already want. Don't try and make them want something that they don't want or don't know yeah. they want, you know, but you can maybe get them to realize, Hey, if you want to be a screenwriter, by the way, if you want to be a working screenwriter, here's something you don't know that you actually need to know. And then they go, Oh, I want that. But it wasn't like they were walking around and they wanted it. 
but it wasn't like going against what they already wanted. And yeah. I think as a storyteller, you need to think like that. You need to think, okay, well, what do people already want? You know, I'm coming to see an action movie. So I already want you to show me action sequences and visuals and stuff like that. So if you're doing an action movie, understand this is what they already want. Now, if you want to give them something a little more, you get pretty much one thing. You don't really get much more than that. Yeah. You know, and you could argue this to the end of the day, but pretty much most movies that are different, they're different on one little tiny factor. That's it. And, and any more than that, and it gets too much, and then people kind of, you know, fall away. There's a new big action blockbuster that came out recently that pops into mind that, that yeah. fell trapped to that, which, I think. Which one? Oh, you want me to just call it out right now? Yeah, why not? All right. Well, um, it, for, for me, that was kind of like what happened with Batman versus Superman. Mm. It was like, you know, it gave me a lot of that action stuff, and you know, it gave me some, some other things that I was like, Oh, I wasn't quite expecting that, which I liked, but then suddenly there was, it was trying to give me a lot of different things. Yeah. It's trying to give me, yeah, it it became too many different things that it was trying to give me. And, and it was, and then it ended up being like, you know, like, don't like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I enjoyed it. I don't, I don't regret spending the money to go and see it. I, I got, pretty much what I wanted from it <laughs> based on my expectations going in. So I enjoyed it, but yeah, like there it's, it's been a movie that's received has, you know, had a pretty divisive, you know, camps of people who thought it was really quite great. And people who thought that it was pretty, pretty terrible actually. So yeah, yeah. It's, and, and each, and I, I, I've read some of like the stuff that's been going around from each side and, and like, I can understand both of them. I'm like, yeah, like it, it did do this like quite well. And I agree with you, but I also agree with you. Like this was something that, you know, did not, did not work for me either with it. But it's, um, yeah, I think the superhero movie breaking down is a little bit, it's a little bit strange because you have people who have, fanship nostalgia who have read the comic books and stuff. And so, you know, they're going to like it regardless. It doesn't, you know, in some ways the, you know, the fact that a comic book version of the, the, it's getting made, they're going to be judgmental about certain things, but, but they love seeing their comics get made. And so, you know, it's a, it's a pre-sold audience, you know, it's a very like, you know, this is what studios do. They want to get pre-sold audiences and stuff like that. So it's hard, it's harder to break down a movie like that and kind of, you know, cause you get into the, you get into the fanship, the fanboy nostalgia. And, you know, when, when you're a fresh viewer, you know, people will fight for things that they just, they only like it because it was a comic book movie. If it was in any other movie, they wouldn't have liked it. But mm-hmm. in this movie, they liked it because it doesn't matter. They're going to defend it to their grave because it's their comic book. You know what I mean? And it's their hero. You know what I mean? So I think that it's kind of one of those things. It's almost like a, it's open up a, it's open up Pandora's box, (laughs) (laughs) but we'll save that for another day. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we can always look into superhero movies, but anyway, what what, what do you think? What was, uh, what was your big takeaway today? Yeah. You know, um, you know, other than the sandwich, um, (laughs) The sandwich analogy. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, today turned to be, uh, all about structure, structure, structure. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, and how it serves, make, make a friend with structure. Don't 
like pretending that it doesn't exist or that you don't need it doesn't make it not true. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> like it, there's, there's a structure there and the sooner you become a friend with structure and, and using it and learning, because o- only once you know it, can you, can you then begin to, to twist it and, and mold it in certain ways, you know, to, to suit, to suit the story that you want, that you want to tell. Um, but it, it doesn't make it go away. You no. can't just make it, make it go away. It, there's, it's there for a reason and it stood the test of, of time for a reason and, and structure exists in every facet of our, of our reality. You know, well, so yeah. like, and there, so for me, I'm making like a thesis, I suppose in some, in some ways here, but based on that, it must be true for the things we create as well. It must be true. Yeah. There's a, there's a consistency. I think structure gives us a sense of consistency. And I think that, you know, one thing I uncovered a few years back was that if we lived in a world of chaos where nothing meant anything and everything was random and there was no connection to anything, we wouldn't be able to function. We need a certain amount of predictability and consistency to be able to get through our day and be effective. And we consume our entertainment in the same way, you know, and, uh, well, it allows us to, to say what's next. Sure. What's next and to keep pushing forward and pressing on. Yeah. And it creates, uh, you know, structure, structure creates a certain kind of, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, and you need to understand its power. I think that sometimes it's, it, it create a predictability, which is a great effective tool as it's sometimes Mm -hmm. creating a predictability is important because um, when people think they know what's going to happen, that's when you can create a twist. If, if no one had any type of anticipation, you would kind of just have like children, you know, when children are born, they're kind of like just looking at the world, just like, wow, like everything is new, right? The, the fact that audiences don't see movies, like everything is new. They see it like, okay, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. I've seen this before. Wait a minute. Whoa, hold on. I did not expect yeah. that is um, is something that gives them an experience, right? Where, um, it's relative because in a way, because you have a comfort in the consistency, you you have the possibility of surprise. Whereas like a a little kid, everything's new. So everything is kind of a surprise, but it's not really a surprise because everything's new. So it's not more surprising than anything else. So I think that's why like older audiences require, that you play on their predictability more, whereas younger audiences don't have as much of a foundation built. Yeah. So you have a little more freedom. They don't have to be as uh, nuanced or as uh, different to necessarily catch their eye. Yeah, that's actually really practical. Yeah. That's, that's some good, just like down earth. But yeah, I, I, I just wanted to add on to something that you had said that I was like, yeah, like that, that kind of like really just like dinged something for me there. But structure actually shows you what's next. Structural. If you're if you're paying attention, it will actually show you what the new thing is. Mm-hmm. You know, because that it actually opens up our mind to that. Right. You know, like when yeah, just on your your whole thing of like you know if we we oftentimes we'll look at it as being like oh well it's predictability it's a cog in the machine it's like it's all just a a giant machine. Well, the thing is is that you know the fact that we sit here doing a podcast. <laughs> 
you know, the fact that we, that this is possible because if it was, if the world is absolute chaos, this, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this right now. So that level of sort of predictability and, and comfort to a degree has, has given us an opportunity at the same time. The, the mistake is to get, is, is to just sit in that comfort and just, uh, just to sit and that's it. But the thing is that when you have that, it actually, it actually gives you an opportunity that frees you to say, it's like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm actually in a comfortable situation. I can recognize that I have roof over my head. I've got food to eat. I've got clothes on my back and hell I've got like, which those are really the only things that you need to survive Yeah. in life. Those are actually your survival, all of your survival needs. And so the rest is gravy. The fact that, you know, we have a computer and a microphone and internet and, <laughs> you know, and people can come and do that. These have given us a level of comfort that what it's predictable and it's there for us. And it allows us to say, okay, to focus on something, to something else, to focus on what's the next thing. What do we do now? Yeah. Right? You, and structure can, it actually does that structure will actually free you. It doesn't, it does. It, it seems it's almost a paradox. Yeah. It's almost an absolute paradox. Um, because a structure is, it's something that, that doesn't seem to say that like, Oh, it, it's, it's freeing. And it's, it, you don't think so, but it completely is. It literally does for you. I mean, even improv has structure. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. it does. Right. And the thing is, is that if I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight, if I'm going to have cover over my head, if I'm going to be able to eat, if I don't know if that's going to happen, that's all I'm going to be thinking about. But there's a certain consistency. There's a certain structure to my life where I know where I'm going to lay my head tonight. I know, um, that my computer is going to work well, theoretically for this podcast, I know that, you know, we're going to sit on this couch. I have a certain kind of, I don't have to think about that anymore. And stories the same way. There's a certain kind of, we don't want to have to think about everything. You know, we yeah. want to kind of go, okay, this is going to be about a character. They're going to have a struggle, you know, for to some degree, we want to kind of have that consistency. But then once that's there, then we can start thinking about thriving. Then we can start thinking about exploring things beyond just survival. Yeah. And I think that, you know, structure is not just a thing that's like only in story. It permeates everything we do. So when people deny structure, it's like saying, well, um, you know, I want to be entirely spontaneous, spontaneous or spontaneous. Um, well, if you're spontaneous all the time, and you don't have any structure, that's actually your structure. Ironically, your spontaneity becomes your structure because it's what you consistently do. So yeah. you can't escape it. It's yeah. not like, uh, it's like, it's just there. You and know? also like a lot of these structures reflect a, a great truth, which is like, I, his, I'm just thinking about this now. I've never th- seen this angle on it. He's like, oh, well, you know, Plato's structure of, of storytelling, you know, it's like, it's just when you think of it just academically, it just is what it is. But when you, when you look at it from a greater human scope, dilemma, people not face dilemmas in their life. Do people not have struggles in their life and things that of course we all do. Yeah. Crisis. Do people not face crises and crises, crises? Yeah. Um, 
do people not have to make decisions and take action on them? Yeah. And then do those things not have a resolution? I think that's why it stood the test of time is because these are all things that are true about our lives. Yeah. Story is just a representation of, you know, it's, it's, you know, you, you can, you know, and I talk about this actually in my story writing class, but I talk about how story is basically the tool we use to survive as human beings. We, I mean, we basically need it so that we can transcend, um, we can transcend because if you think about it, like I need to know the pattern. Once I know the pattern and I know, and I can predict the pattern will occur a certain way, then I can think beyond the pattern. But if I don't even know the pattern, all I'm thinking about is what is the pattern? Mm-hmm. So for example, you can just take this to the most basic idea. I go to sleep at night. I wake up in the morning. I eat my breakfast. I go to work. I do my work shift. I come home or I do my lunch break. I talk to my friends. I go out and I do some type of entertainment. I eat my dinner. I go back to sleep or watch some TV or whatever. You know what? So we have a consistency. The thing is, is that I think what people get caught in the, just the inertia bubble of, I'm going to do everything the same. I'm going to keep my life so secure and so safe and never push outside that little bubble. And then you never do anything with your life. And it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's underwhelming, but I think where you go, okay, this is my pattern. I have a certain amount of consistency. I can break that when I want to, but I know that it's still there. Yeah. It's like, I can, I can leave the pattern. I can alter the pattern, but I still know even at the end of the day, I'm probably still going to go to sleep around this time. Yeah, probably. I might not. You don't have to. That's the thing, but you probably will. And you know, the consequences that if you pull an all nighter or you go to bed late, and you have to wake up at a certain time that there's going to be an effect. You know that that's a yeah. pattern that you've already lived. And if you didn't know that you would wake up every morning and be like, why the hell am I so tired? Like, cause you just had no context. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did anything, you yeah. know, you don't, you're not seeing. And, and I think this is the beauty of story. It's like really just a whole lot of cause and effect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that turned into a long closing statement, but I, I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> I think we covered some good stuff. We did. We did. All right. Not so serious Sunday. See y'all. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.